wondering where I should start. I, um, I'll start with this. I think you do have a firm foundation here. I think you've got a foundation of some, some solid people. And I, I just, just heard the Lord saying that he is going to unleash evangelism in this place. And I have a question for you. How many of you here are first-generation Christians? You didn't have a mother or father. Okay. One. Keep your hands up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. Um, I'm second generation. Steve's second. You guys are all second or third or whatever. There's something about first generation saved. Almost all of the, the revivalist, red on fire, crazy evangelists that I know, the ones where you go out to eat with them and you cannot eat and go through a meal without them talking to somebody, you go out to the parking lot and they're talking to somebody, those that intimidate the rest of us because we don't know how we would be like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of them are first generation. I've, I haven't met one yet that's not first generation. I'm going somewhere with this, so hang in there. My father was first generation. And he would embarrass me as a child, and yet I'd be proud of him at the same time because he'd go to the county office and witness to the lady, you know, and I'd be like 10 or 11. I'm like, oh, you know, or whatever. I have so many examples from my father. Not that he, he was not an evangelist, but he was first generation. And he knew people need to be saved. He had that in him. And I, I believe that we can have that first generation passion for reaching the lost. Okay? And I'm speaking to myself as well. I've experienced it to a degree, but I, I, I just really believe that God wants to put that on us. And I believe this region that, you know, I was talking to, to Ray and Carol, and everybody thinks they're a Christian, and you know they're not, right? You know they're not. But I really believe that God can um, move. I really feel like um, he's going to give you some keys um, it's not just one way or one style. And, you know, we go out on the street a lot and we'll witness to people. We'll pray for people and a lot of times not see them in church. And we've had a problem with discipleship in this area. But, you know, the very best thing are your workplace, people that you build relationship with, yeah. your neighbors. How many of you have a neighbor that doesn't know Jesus? Okay. And I, I'm just so challenged by this. I really feel like, like if you expect it, and you go after it, you're going to see something happen. I really believe God wants to bring newly saved people into this place. And um, I, want us, I want us all to stand, and I want us to pray that first-generation passion over all of us. Okay? That it's, it's not, because it's, it's different when you've been raised in the church, and there's the normality. I, you know, I can't even put it in words, but it's, there's a different, different. So I, I, just, I just want us to receive that. Can you receive that today? I'm praying over myself as well. Lord Jesus, you are the greatest evangelist. You were interrupted. You just let yourself be interrupted constantly by people that needed you, by, when you needed to speak to people. Lord, let us be interrupted. Let us not be afraid to in, be interrupted when we go to the store, when we go to the gas station, when we go out in our daily, everyday living. Let us be interrupted to talk to somebody. I pray that you would give us that first-generation passion 
passion for people that don't know you. Thank you, Lord, for opening the door to opening our eyes to see, to see who the people are that are ready. Who are the people around us that are ready that we can just say a word. We can just show the love of God. Show some kindness. I thank you for relationships that are going to be built with people that don't know you. I thank you for relationships even that start this week. For people in this house, in their workplace, in their neighbors, people they come in contact with. And they're going to bring them in. It's going to be automatic discipleship because they already have a relationship. Thank you, Jesus, for that. We just, we just received the passion to see the lost come in through us in Jesus name, in Jesus name. You know, if you, what if I only led one person to the Lord in a year? What if I went out and I talked to a lot of people and I spread a lot of seed and I prayed for people? What if all of us did that and we only had one person saved that year? It would double. One person. And then what happens is that one person is going to be first generation and they're going to be on fire like crazy because they got a whole circle of friends around there that don't know Jesus. I just, I felt this so strongly and I don't know where you're at with all this, but I just, can you receive this for me? I really feel like don't expect the same old normality. I just like God wants to do something really fresh, a really fresh wind of evangelism. And, and I, we, we know somebody that is an amazing evangelist in this area we're talking about before we came in to come in and just give, give some training and get you, give you a jump start, like, like to get out there and do it. So, um, and the other thing I'm, I, I just want to pray, um, just before Steve speaks, I, I'm, I've got a big kick right now. It's, it's, um, Speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, get tongues. Because that's where the power is at. So if you don't speak in tongues, just ask the Lord for spiritual language. Have somebody lay hands on you or just go home and get in a room and just stay there until he gives you a spiritual language. All right? And there's something right now, I'm I'm just still exploring it, about the blood of Jesus that is so powerful. In many aspects, there's just a depth to the blood of Jesus. And I'm just seeing it all the time right now. And I want to pray that over us before we even, before Steve even speaks or anything, that there would just, I just want to pray the blood of Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for just the blood over the, our mind, our spirit, and our body. Thank you for the cleansing power of your blood. Thank you for the renewing power of the blood of Jesus. Thank you that the blood of Jesus builds a, a hedge around us the enemy cannot penetrate. I thank you for just a clear mind today, open minds, no distractions, that we would hear what you want us to hear today. Yeah. And we just, you just place the blood of Jesus over every member that's sitting in here today. I thank you for your blood, Lord. You, you paid a lot for us to have the power of your blood. And we thank you for your blood in Jesus' name. So I'm, I, I was asked to sing something. So I don't really do this, you know. And I'm like, what am I going to sing? So I'm just going to sing something. And then I'm going to let Steve take it. Here you go. You can sit.
spread it all around. I can't contain it. I'm gonna spread it all around. I'm gonna take it wherever I go. Share your love, Lord. I can't contain it to myself. I gotta share it. I gotta put it all around. Jesus. God is good. And my prayer this morning is that when you leave this place, you're going to leave it with a different perspective of his goodness in your life. Because God wastes nothing. It's almost like you can't mess it up if you're willing to lay it all down. And I'm just going to just, uh, just tell you a little, just a little story about us. I was going to play a video, but I don't know that I am. I'm just, I think I just tell you the story. So, Portland, Oregon. Beautiful place. Unless you've seen Portlandia. Have you guys ever seen that show called Portlandia? I don't know if it's ever made it down in Texas. Do you, you have it? That's good. That's okay. Because it's kind of a box, box Portland and all its craziness. Um, but God called us to start a church in downtown Portland where no churches would survive past two years. That was the history. Where 33% of all people say that they're spiritual and nobody goes to church. It's the least church city, was, the least church city in America. If you meet somebody from Texas, it's because they left the Bible Belt to get away from Christians. That's, that's, that's who's important. And that's who God called us to. God calls people into impossibilities so he can perform his works. And uh, today, Portland is an easy city for people to get saved. We, are, we, we have seen such a breakthrough that people, churches are planned downtown and they become mega churches. I'm not kidding. God has actually done a, an amazing work. We've seen, we've seen uh, the, our, our city was number one in sex trafficking. Our city had the most amount of, of sex shops and strip clubs than any, any other place the, uh, in America. Today, those are being turned into homeless shelters and churches. We see witchcraft shops turn into kitchen supply places. We have seen training places for the occult become beautiful, beautiful new, brand new apartment buildings. We have seen literal transformation of neighborhoods. Flop houses become boutique hotels. Where nobody wanted Jesus, we are seeing miracles, signs, and wonders on the streets. And we are now regularly meeting people who led themselves to the Lord. I'm not kidding. We walked to us and said, baby, you know, just sharing Jesus with people. Oh, man, I've invited to my life. Oh, really, how did that happen? Well, I was just sitting there one day, and I was just like, I, I don't, I need God in my life. And he's, I started reading the Bible, and I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, in a place where... It used to be like six years ago, if you witnessed somebody, it would say, get away from me. I mean, people have gotten beat up for wearing a Jesus shirt. So how does this transformation happen? And how does God, how does God take a little church that didn't have enough? Not enough people, not enough resources, not enough anything. How does God work with all that? God's called you to work all that. In the middle, I'll tell you, I'll be just... 
transport you back when we were at the beginning, where, where it was hard, where it was difficult, where witches and warlocks are doing crazy things against your life and your family and your children. And I said, God, I can't handle it. I can't handle this. This is too much. But the fact is, I can't handle it. Can't handle it when you're called. You can handle it when you're placed. You can handle it when you say yes. See, that's the life we're called to live. A life that has a perspective that say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The reason so many Christians struggle with, with, with stuff in life is because we bought into this whole concept that we have two lives. We, we have our life in Jesus Sunday morning and then the rest of my life. All right? So the rest of my life. So we separate out our lives and, and then we try to handle what the world and the flesh and the devil throws us at us with our flesh. In other words, like, I lost my job. Jesus, I need a job. And then that's the end of that conversation because now you're just going crazy over here looking for things and trying to figure it all out on your own. Or you try to handle what happens in your soul when you get oppressed, depressed, uh, sad with your soul. I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me. No, you can't. You can't deal with the soul with the soul. You've got to deal with your spirit into your soul. And what we've done is we've separated things and we, we set things into little boxes. And somehow we believe that what happens with my relationships and what happens in the kingdom, what happens with my family and what happens in the kingdom, they're just two different things. I have my ministry. I go on Sunday morning. I do the thing. And that's really why we lost our city along the way because Christians had two lives. And we forgot to occupy the places God had actually put us in. And the problem is that religion has taught us the separation. It has said that there are sacred things and there are secular things. It has taught us how to be good followers. It has taught us what to think. But I believe right now the Spirit of the Lord is coming upon the church. And he's turning followers into leaders. Because as Pastor Ray said, we're called to be the head and not the tail. That doesn't mean that I'm like superior above all people, but I come underneath all people and I lift them up. And who lift you up is the person I'm going to turn to and say, can you help me? Because that's our story. Our story is that we went and we helped the least. We helped the poor. We helped, we helped the, the, the broken. We were on the street night after night, day after day. And then now, later on, now I'm sitting with the biggest developers in our city. And they're pouring out their lives. The mayor's calling us into his office. How do you get that favor? How do you become the head? You go and you serve the tail. You, you, you pick up people. And, and, and in order to do that, You've got to be able to follow him so that you become the leader of men. And here's the thing. Jesus is not here to tell you what to think. He's telling you how to think. Because if we begin to begin to think how he thinks, because his thoughts towards us are not the thoughts of men. They're not the thoughts of men. You're going through something, and we think, well, this must be about angels. No, look for his thought. Because his thoughts are higher. The mandate of the Lord of this season is that people would raise up and learn how to wisely lead themselves so they could begin to lead people wherever they're at into the ways of the Lord. And as my wife was talking about, evangelism isn't just like sharing Jesus. It's actually living the life of Jesus and the values of Jesus in such a way that it draws men and says, what 
how do you do this life thing? How do you do this life thing? See, I, I believe that right now we're being called, God's calling up people who know who they are in the midst of pain and setbacks. Right? Because, ever had any of those? Right? You ever have any of those, of those earthly, earthly things that happens your way and begin to see these things as they're happening, not, not detach myself so like, this is happening, but I'm looking at this as I, who, of who I really am, a new creation in Christ Jesus. That I don't have a, a sacred life and I don't have a secular life. I have but one life, and this life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life up for me. That's the life I'm called to live because there is no separation. And when we stop seeing separation between the church and the world, then we will have a voice in the world. Because as, as long as we come as the church to the world, then we're always coming as a stranger. But God taught me how to live in that community as one of them. Show up and just say, I'm here to serve. They didn't even know I was a pastor for a long time. Now they all know I'm a pastor now. Because God said, don't, don't tell them what you do. Just, just be. Just be. And as you are, who you are is who you are, right? Who you are in him will manifest Jesus in the moment. And, and I want to talk about a couple of Bible characters this morning. King David wrote most of the Psalms that we like to sing, that we like to quote. He wrote most of the songs. He's the subject of three books. But who's David? David was a shepherd. Then he was a soldier. Then when he was a refugee and, 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 a, and, a, and a, 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 what do you call it? A, a guy who was uh, trying to escape the law. What's A refugee. Not a refugee. A, a, a fugitive. That's it. A fugitive. Okay, so he was a fugitive. And then he finally becomes a king. You know what he never was? He was never in full-time ministry. And yet David transformed his nation to follow God. He got all of the land that was promised to Israel. He was the one that got it. He became a mighty warrior. And what was his secret? What was his key? If you go to Psalms 86, 11, there's a key of David right here that I want to jump off, off to my passage this morning here. Teach me your ways, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. David did some miraculous things. But look at what he said. Give me an undivided heart. Not like I'm a, the shepherd heart and then the, the king heart and then the psalmist heart. It's one heart. One heart that does all, all these things. David did miraculous things, man. He, he killed a lion and he killed a bear with a slingshot. Man, read Read the newspapers and read history. Grown men with high-powered rifles have died trying to kill lions. And David does it with a slingshot. And then he takes out Goliath and he wins all these battles. He did these things because he lived one life, undivided. Undivided before the Lord. Undivided where there's no separation between his fighting because it is my hand, God who teaches my hands to war. He didn't say, like, well, that's secular work, and then when I go and I'll praise him, that's my sacred work. No, he saw the secular work of riding out the enemies of the land as, as sacred work. See, it's all sacred because we're holy. We're called to be set apart. So everything that I do, if, 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 in, the New, in the Old Testament, if you touch a leper, you became, what, contaminated. 
But in the New Testament, if you touch a leper, he becomes whole. That's the difference between being a new creation in Christ Jesus. I can go into darkness, and I'm not touched by darkness. I touch darkness with light. So that's what it means to be living in this place of undivided heart where he says that I may fear your name, that I may constantly be aware of who you are wherever I am. The fear of the Lord, what, it's the beginning of wisdom, why? Because it's, it actually means the reverence or the awe or the, or the constant awareness. Whew, he's good. He's here. He's here. Oh, yeah. Goliath is here? <laughs> yeah, but God's here. He's a whole lot bigger than Goliath. And they're just, there are things that pop up in our lives that separate out our lives. They, they separate out our lives, you know, things like relationships or setbacks or things like, 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 like our career. There's a lot of people like careers different than being a Christian. Disappointment, disqualifications. Those, those things are outside because I don't want to talk about that because that doesn't seem spiritual. And, and God is saying, listen, don't try to handle these things apart from the divine nature that he has placed in you. The divine nature he has placed in you. That you may live your life with an undivided, unoffended heart. An undivided, unoffended heart. First Corinthians Paul is, is, is saying, hey guys, you know all those crazy stories in the Old Testament? David, Solomon, Samson. I mean, what, I mean that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Why, why, why do we have to learn all that stuff? And Paul says in, in, in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, Paul is speaking and he's saying, now these things happen to them as an example were written down as instructions for us on whom the end of the ages has come. And so today I want to use Moses as our example for instruction, how there is no separation between the sacred and the secular. Because as long as there's a people who come to church on Sunday morning, but then go to their jobs, and and that's a separate thing than their worship before God. Because what is worship? That I give my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. When? On Sunday? No, every day. Because that's how cities are transformed. That's how revival comes. Because there's no separation. Because I, I, I come here, I get filled up, and I go out there and I spill what I got filled up with. And so, we're going to turn our Bibles Exodus 3, if you'd like. And um, we're going to talk about how God calls the disqualified, and he qualifies by the call. Because a lot of you may be thinking like, well, yeah, but I'm not, if you knew my life, you wouldn't think God would want to use me for anything. Well, let's look at Moses for a minute. So as you turn there, I'm just going to give you his story. You guys all know that he's born at a time where the, 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 the Jewish people are so flourishing in the land because after all, God took him to Israel because to fulfill prophetic uh, word that my people will come out of, excuse me, took him to Egypt, that my people would come out of Egypt. Egypt was the, the birthing place for the nation of Israel. And they prospered there so much that the, 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 uh, the Pharaoh said they didn't know Joshua. Joseph, excuse me, that, that had been generations removed from, from Joseph, who was the hero that saved the nation. He said, hey, listen, these guys are becoming too much. Uh, if they, they keep reproducing how they're reproducing, they're, 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 their women are fertile. They're, they're like, we have all these fertility gods, but our people aren't, aren't reproducing like they are. And so they're outnumbering us. So we got we to gotta deal with this. So they decide to get rid of all the firstborn males. And Moses is born at, born at that time because sometimes in the midst of Satan's biggest attack, that's when God sets the seed of his salvation. So then Moses is born into that, and you guys know the story. God intervenes in that so, so that uh, 
he floats down the river to geniusly to to the Pharaoh's daughter who had not been able to bear children and she adopts Moses as her own. He's raised in the castle. You guys all know the story. He's raised in the castle. He's 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 like raised like a son of Pharaoh. And then one day, yet knowing because his mother gets to raise him because his mother gets hired to be the nanny, so she actually trains him on who you really are, right? In the middle of all that, he's seen one of his Jewish brothers getting getting beat up, and he decides to kill the, the, the Egyptian who's doing that. And then fear comes into his heart because the Egyptian's body is found after he buried it, and he runs into the desert. The prince is gone. Now there's just an 80-year-old washed-up shepherd. And this is where we pick up the story. So now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro. This is uh, verse 1. His father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, and the bush was burning with fire, and yet it was not consumed. I got to stop right there. You see, a burning bush was not uncommon in the desert. Bushes would spontaneously uh, erupt all the time in, in, that, in that desert. That's just an uncommon known fact. What was happening is this bush was burning, but it was not consumed which is a sample of what God wants to do in our lives today on day of Pentecost. And he wants to burn in us with fire, and yet people are like, how are you not consumed by this fire? How are you not consumed by this thing? It's who you are. He uses who you are, and he puts fire on you. Now, burning bush. The angel appeared to him in the midst of this burning bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, i got to turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why is the bush not burned up? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. He said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place in which you are standing in is holy ground. And he also said, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. Now, Moses is hiding. So while he's hiding... God tells Moses, I want to deliver Egypt, and I'm going to use you. God reveals to Moses who he is. He's the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's a whole different, that's a message in itself right there. But, but then he, it gets real. Because at that point, he says, he's calling Moses to become his voice, to become his deliverer in Egypt. And that's where it gets real, because, all right, the, 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 you mean, God, that you're going to put the fate of a nation into the hands of an 80-year-old washed-up shepherd who's still working for his father-in-law at age 80. Doesn't sound like much of a plan. Doesn't sound like much of a story that's going to come up. And that's the moment when God calls you and you look at your disqualification, you go, what if? Right, what if? So let's look on. Let's let's go to chapter 4. And then Moses said, verse 1, what if... They don't believe me or listen. What if I say, uh, what, what, excuse me, what if they don't believe or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord didn't appear to you. The Lord said to him, so what is in your hand? He said, a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled. Listen, when God calls you, he knows your history. He knows your story. He knows your weakness. 
He knows that Moses can't talk. He stutters. It's like, why would God pick that? Why would God pick me? I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. Why? How, how could God pick me? Second thing, God knows what you carry. He knows that he has a staff. It isn't like God says, what is that thing? Because I don't, I don't recognize what you're carrying. No, no, no. It's just, what is that thing? So that Moses can realize what it is that he has in his hands. Because it represents to him the thing that he uses every day to make his living. His staff, the thing that he leans on when he's going up the hills, the things he protects his animal with, it's, it's mundane, it's, it's, it's just normal, it's an earthly thing. There's nothing spiritual about the staff. And the staff was not just the staff, but it also was a reminder to Moses how much of his life had shifted and changed. Because you see, at Pharaoh's house, if you look at all the Egyptian pharaohs, you will see that they all have a staff. Because at every Egyptian house, there was a staff. And that, it was the indication, it was a beautiful golden staff that was gold and blue bands on the staff. It said that they're called to be the shepherd of the nation. That they were called. It was a, it was, it was a sign of their call to, lead, to be a leader of the, of the people. And this wooden staff was a reminder of just how much he had fallen. How much he had lost. Moses, he had blown it. All the royalty was behind. Now all he had is a, it's a wooden stick. And sometimes what ends up in your hands are the leftovers of your failed efforts. Are the, I was going there, and I almost had it all, but now this is all I got. You're going to see that that's enough. We read the story. Moses had tried to bring deliverance by his own hand, as I just told you. But now, what was in his staff, what in his hand was a lesser staff. It wasn't the staff of, of, of That would have been a glorious staff. That would have been awesome to be saying, yes, I got the staff to lead a people. But all he did is had a staff to lead sheep. And God says, that's enough. That's enough. He will use the leftovers of your mistakes and make it something supernatural and powerful when you do what he tells you to do with it. See, this is a symbol that God's, God is saying, listen, I, I, everything you need for the journey ahead of you is already in your hands. It may not seem like a lot. It's already in your It may not seem like a lot. You know, there's enough people in this room to turn around this whole entire region because God doesn't need a ton of people. He needs a remnant. He needs people who say, I got, this is all I got. But what I got, I lay down. See, we're often too focused on what we don't have. I didn't have the people. I didn't have the buildings. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have all of those things. And for a long time, believe me, I was like, God, when are you going to give me the stuff so I can do stuff for you? Not realizing that everything that was needed was already in my hand. See, in your hand is the normal. It's the mundane. You see, but that's all it's needed. See, all that Jesus needed was to feed 5,000 was a few loaves and fishes that was in the hands of a boy. 
all that was needed to sustain the prophet Elijah and the widow and, and, and her son was just a little bit of oil and a little bit of grain. That was all that was needed. That's all they had in hand. But when you put what you have in your hand into God's hands, something happens with multiplication. Is a Moses and the little boy and the widow had no idea what God was about to do with the meager things that were in their hands. It's not so much the quantity or the quality of what is in your hand. What matters is that you lay it down. What matters is that you throw it down before the presence of the Lord. See, it, 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 it doesn't seem that, that spiritual. It, doesn't, it may not seem that significant. We got, this, is what, this is the problem. That's the separation problem. Because we think, oh, this is, this is not a spiritual thing that God, I don't have a spiritual thing. I don't, I don't have a, all these gifts of the Spirit. And God is saying, well, you do, actually, because the Holy Spirit lives in you. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, then the gifts of the Spirit are available to you. So don't say that you don't. See, that, that, so, but, but just, that's, another, that's another story. But, I, but I'm saying, but, you know, it's like, I don't have, you know, the talent that, that David has to lead worship or whatever it is that you may say, I don't have. But God knows exactly what you do have and what is in your hands because it becomes something totally different. When you lay down in the presence of the Lord, see, with that little boy lay down his little loaves and fishes, he comes home with a basket full of food. Now imagine that story. So the boy's gone all day. He comes back from seeing Jesus, and mom goes, wow, you were gone a long time. Did you eat your lunch? Well, oh, yes, and, and, but everybody ate my lunch. What do you mean? They took your lunch away from you? Well, kind of, but I still ate. What? Well, yeah, yeah. Actually, everybody got to eat the lunch you prepared, Mama. What do you mean? Like people just had little crumbs and little pieces. There's there's thousands of people. I heard about it. Because no, no. Actually, everybody ate and they were so full. There was I brought home a whole basket full. So what happens when you present what you have in your hands to God? Now, Moses, the thing he presented, there's a problem with it. He throws it down and it becomes a snake. Like, how? I, I don't think he was expecting that. It's like sometimes what you throw down before God becomes something scary for you to pick up. It becomes something like, like I don't know that I want to touch that thing. Because God, that could bite me. That could hurt me. Man, going to downtown is like, we, we could lose everything. We could lose our house. Because there's no money. And you want me to pick this thing up? But you see, the reason it turns into a serpent is because God was, was up to something. Because what the serpent meant to the house of Pharaoh was the authority of the gods for him to rule over the region and to have a, a dynasty over the nation. That's what the serpent represented in Egypt. And God was saying, I'm about to throw, to have you show up with a greater authority and a greater power at the house of Pharaoh. Because you guys all know what happens. Moses walks in and he's stuttering in and Aaron has to, has to speak for him. But at the moment, says, he says, he asks for people to go. He says, like, who's your God? How am I, I going to do this? He goes, watch my God. He throws it down on the ground, and it becomes a serpent, a snake. And it's actually an asp, I think, that's a very deadly thing. And, and, 
And, you know, Pharaoh goes, so? Because, come on, magicians, you do the same thing, and they do the same thing. They throw down their staff, and they become snakes. But what happened? God's snake eats the other snakes. Because when God, when you throw down and it's in your hand, in the presence of the Lord, and the presence of your enemies, God's power overcomes the power of the enemy. And he was saying to Egypt, uh-uh, I'm here not just to judge you, but to judge your God, that gods that have kept my people in captivity. Because who do you think was giving Pharaoh's all the idea about enslaving God's people? It was the principalities and powers rulings over Egypt. And God was there not just to set them free, but he was there to dethrone them and disempower them. So you see, what is in your hand, is that your career? It could be your skills. It could be your experiences. It could be your failures. Even the stuff that you're like, man, that should not have been, but this is what I'm stuck with. That stuff in God's hands. That stuff in God's hands becomes the miracle for a vehicle for the miracle. The miracle of God's power. I want you to see something here. It's in, it's in Exodus 4, 19 and 20. Because there's something powerful after after. Moses throws it down, becomes a snake, and he runs away, and he says, no, pick it up, and it becomes a staff again, and he's ready to head in, into, into Egypt to do what the Lord has asked them to do, as silly as it sounds, as crazy as it sounds. It says, now the Lord said to, to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses also took the staff of God in his hands. Did you see that? That before he was the burning bush, it was the staff of Moses. What is in your hand? My staff. But after he laid it down in the presence of the Lord, it becomes the staff of God. Maybe the stuff that you're carrying around with you, he said, God, this this is all I got. It's not really your stuff, but it's really his stuff waiting to be empowered by our surrender. Waiting to be empowered by our surrender. God wants to transform what is in your hand, that which we saw as secular, as mundane, as unholy, into something powerful that demonstrates the power of God because then Moses goes, and with that staff, he touches the Nile and it turns to blood. With that staff, he touches the land and frogs are released. With that staff, he releases flies and all the plagues. And you know what the plagues were? They were the judgment of God on all the gods of Egypt because every single plague represented a power of one of their gods. And God said, and at first, at first, with the blood in the river, at first the magicians could do it too. But with every level, they could not keep up. They could not keep up. Sometimes God, the enemy in the midst of when you're stepping out and you're getting bold and you're seeing a few miracles, you know, the, the enemy goes, that's not a big deal. I can do the same thing. But if you keep at it, he cannot keep up with you. He's called Beelzebub. For one reason, Lord of the Flies. A fly lives for 40 days. I think you can outlive a fly if you're persistent in what God's calling you to do. Now, he takes the mundane and this thing becomes powerful. And now this, this staff, the staff of God parts the Red Sea. The staff of God, when it's lifted above Moses' hands, the God's people 
utterly defeat an enemy who's totally overwhelming them, outpowering them, outgunning them. They utterly defeat this enemy when that staff is held up before the Lord. That's, you can read all kinds of good, good preaching, and it. it's just that little story right there. But the issue, I want to say, is not the instrument. The issue is what are we willing to give to God? even if it makes no sense. Even if it makes no sense. Here, Moses was going to deliver a people. And all he had was a walking stick. But remember what happened to that walking stick. It became the staff of God. See, they, they, the Pharaoh just saw Moses just with a, you know, a, little, a, big, a big walking stick, right? But heaven saw something else. Heaven saw something else. And that's the thing you got to look at and say, Father, what do you see that I got in my hands that I'm not seeing it as you're seeing it? That I'm not seeing how you see it. Because God has said, all you need is a silly stick. And I will empower what is in your hands. And I will demonstrate that in your weakness, I will move. Destiny can be changed by simple obedience. Simple obedience to what doesn't seem to be anything really holy or sacred. Like, whoa, I just, I just got this. This is what you're asking me to lay down. And, you know, Moses, the, his first test was he had to pick it up. He had to pick it back up. So it's, sometimes it's easy to lay, lay things down before the Lord. Okay, Lord, I've just laid this down before you. But there's a point that we have to pick it back up in order to become effective what God has given us. So the issue comes down at the end to trust and obedience, to listen to his voice. No matter how silly it is in the mind of the flesh, because what it is, it's the foolishness, it's the wisdom of God becomes, it's like foolishness to men, but it's actually the other way around. Our wisdom is real foolishness in heaven's realm. So when we present to God something, it becomes glory. And glory is what the king of glory deserves. See, the Bible says that we're, we're called to give him glory. Well, how, how can I give him glory when all glory emanates from him because he's already given you something that you can give to back to him as a, your sacrifice of praise and worship, your life, your life called to give him glory. Now, the issue is, again, not what's in your hand. Because, man, that rock, that, 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 that staff hit a rock and water came out. And, and gave water to a thirsting people. But next time, God called him to speak to the rock to have water come out. Because it's not what's in your hand. It's not the thing. It's your obedience. And that disobedience of Moses cost him his ability to enter in the promised land because he went back and reverted to the same old thing that he had been using. And the whole point of the story is it is, what's, it is what is in your hand that God will use, but even greater than that, it's your obedience. And you're listening to his voice and saying, okay, I've been using the staff all my life and God's been faithful, but now he's asking me to do something. And some of you in this room, you've been faithful with some things and God's been working through it, but now he's calling you to another level of faith to say, I want you to speak. And this time, water's going to come out when you speak. 
I want to end here with a little story of a man in my church, two men in my church, the oldest guys I got. One's named Fred, the other one's named Gene. Back in the 1950s, Gene was going to school to become a veterinarian, and Fred was pastoring a, a Baptist church near the college. And there was this drunken young man. Everybody said, man, he's brilliant, but he's just a mess. And he's, he's, he's married, treats his wife terribly. Fred says, man, he needs Jesus. He needs the gospel. And people said, don't waste your life on Fred, on, on Gene. But Fred one night goes up. Little did he know that Gene had just been having a conversation with God over the whiskey bottle about his life. Fred shows up with the word of the Lord, and Gene gives his life to Fred, to, to the Lord. And they, Fred becomes his pastor. And along the way, Gene decides that his life is worth living for God. He's going to be a veterinarian, but he's a pretty brilliant business guy, and he starts all these businesses in college, and they, they flourish. They flourish like crazy. He starts five little businesses, and they flourish. And he says, okay, God, i got to deal with you. I'm going to take these five businesses, and I'm going to invest them into your kingdom, and I'll live off the veterinary thing. I'll, I'll, I'll raise my family on that salary, and I'll leave the, these things. And he said, after going to a mission thing, he says, Father, it would be my dream if I could give a million dollars to the mission field with these secular, mundane little things. I'm going to fast forward this. Today, over 20 million people in India have been baptized and been born again to the kingdom of God because of Gene. I'm not making this up. I'm not even exaggerating. At least 20 million people. Because he said, Father, I want to give one. Because he laid down that one, God gave him another $10 million to give. And what he did is he found some of the brilliant, most, most dedicated workers in India. He says, I will fund you and your family. I will put your kids through college. But here's how you're going to do this. You're going to disciple people. God gave him a strategy for discipleship. And because of that strategy for discipleship, 20 million people. I have, these, I have these leaders come to our church all the time. They're talking to me. They're humble guys. They're just amazing people. And, I, and one guy was like, so, you know, how many are you overseeing? Well, I oversee 17,000 cell groups. Uh, yeah. You, you, you can sit down. In fact, there's, there's a picture of these 10 guys, and 20 million people can be traced to those 10 guys. And they all call Gene Dad. There's high schools named after him. Gene has never preached one message in his whole life in front of people, and yet he's led thousands to the Lord one-on-one as a businessman in the community, as a father. He's gone to India, and he's sat at the tables and strategized with them, and they go out and reach because Gene decided to lay down those five little businesses. Today he owns a good deal of one of the suburbs of our city. And, uh, and it's all for the glory of God. It's all for the kingdom of God. Because he was able to lay down what was in his hand because there was no separation between what was sacred and what is secular. So 
And that's our story. So he said, well, you're a pastor. Well, I am a pastor, but I, but I, but I, I ran a, a subcommittee for, uh, for public safety out of the mayor's office. I, I, I was a, the, the, the president of the downtown neighborhood, the most influential neighborhood of the entire city. I, I, I advised every chief of police uh, sat on, on, on budget boards. I, I, that, that doesn't seem like pastor work. Oh, really? I'm pastoring my city. There's no separation. There's no separation. I just want to encourage you guys today. The, the, the bear, the, the, this is, people go like, how, how did you guys get to where you're at and, and God has blessed you? We were invited into the largest secular university in our state to house our church there on their campus. I'm not saying that we, we rent a, a room and we come in and out. I'm there all the time. I carry an ID badge. I help them start departments. Because there's no separation. And so, my, my message to you this morning is, what is in your hand? That God is saying, are you willing to lay that down for my glory right now? And see what I will do with what is in your hand. I want Deb to come to the piano. I just, I just want you to just close your eyes right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just invite you. We invite you to come into this room as you did in the day of Pentecost. But Lord, today, today, Father, hmm, Come like wind and come like fire for what is in our hands. Thank you right now, you Lord, you're speaking. I just want you to say this. Say, Holy Spirit, what is in my hand that you want to use? right now he's speaking to you about something there could be a gene in this room a doctor gene it could be a Fred who knows how to look at people through different eyes and see the glory of God and destiny But it's all what's in your hands. It's not a mistake. Even if it's not much, would you stand to your feet right now? And if you're willing, just put your hands out in front of you, carrying that thing that God spoke to you about. Whatever, Lord God, you've given us in our hands, we now lay down in your presence. Just lay it down before the presence of the Lord. We lay it down before your presence. That you would transform it, Lord God, into an instrument of your power, an instrument, Lord God, of your purposes, an instrument, Lord God, of your good. That people may know 
that there's a God in Dallas area, in the Dallas area, who's the God of miracles, who's the God who's calling his children home, ready to deliver them out of the oppression and out of their darkness, out of their slavery and into inheritance. Father, I thank you right now, Lord, that you anoint whatever has been laid down here in your presence and you transform it, Father. I want you to just reach down and just pick it back up and hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is going to say, put that thing forward in different places that where you go. Put that thing forward. And when you do, expect God's power to flow through what you have put forward. It could be, the power of God may be in the electrician's wire clippers or the plumber's wrench or a housewife's laundry. Thank you, Lord. There is nothing. Lord, there's no separation. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all who dwell therein. All things were made by you, for you, and through you, and all things are called to become one again in you. So, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for this church right now. I declare, Father, over this house, the spirit of entrepreneurship in the kingdom. I decree visions and dreams with what is in their hands. I decree, Lord God, ideas and formulas, inventions, Lord God. I decree, Lord God, a move, Lord God, of the supernatural grace of God, Father, to serve where they're at every day as your hands and feet. Thank you, Father, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I pray for more of the Holy Spirit in this house more of the Holy Spirit in this house. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for a fresh breath, Lord God. But not just on Sunday meetings, Lord God. But, Lord, as the people go and they're, they're scattered to the winds, Lord. That, Lord, that they would be scattered with your power and with your glory. And what they're carrying in their hands. It is the instrument, Lord God, of your goodness and salvation. It is the instrument of your power and deliverance. In Jesus' name. Amen.